Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? You're doing great. Good day. Good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord, learning together from the word of the Lord. There's just nothing quite like it. So thankful for so many things to see those baptism videos and to see the changes that are happening. And especially love seeing uh, those kids from four or five camp getting baptized out at camp. And God, you know, if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And he's brought us through that camp season. And so, so many kids came to know the Lord Jesus on in that. And there was a lot, I mean, it was a difficult, we had a lot of difficulty uh, with the circumstances of it. But, you know, God got us through it. And he does that. He's amazing at that. And and no no challenge has ever taken him down. He just stays on his throne. And I'm thinking about that, you know, in the light of what we've experienced in the last week. Uh, one of those things is Haiti and the earthquake that happened there. The other one is what we're witnessing in Afghanistan. And I just want to take a moment and I want to pray about th- both of those things and just just to just do this overtly, to lay them at the feet of our Lord. Would you just do that with me? Heavenly Father, I'm praying right now that you would be with the people of Haiti. There's a failed government there right now. There's lawlessness there. And there's the trauma that comes from this previous earthquake that killed so many tens of thousands of people. And now, once again, they're facing uh, the results of another earthquake. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be poured out where there is so limited an opportunity for us to minister right now. I pray, Father, that you would do what we could never do and that you would make a way where there seems to be no way. I pray that you would minister to the people of Haiti. And I pray also for the people of Afghanistan, the Afghanis, the Americans, and other nations that are there frantically trying to uh, to get out and the fear that's overtaking that entire situation. I pray, Father, that that you would just plow the road, that you would just make uh, make it available for those that need to escape to escape and for those that are going to shine the light of Jesus Christ, even if it costs them their lives, that you would make them bold and make them strong to proclaim that message and it would light up that area with uh, with your love and the gospel. I pray, Father, you could accomplish these things that we cannot. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I want to welcome all of the locations that are joining with us inside, online. So thankful for each and every one of you. And the two uh, sermons in the last two weeks have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Clayton concluded the Crazy Faith series with a sermon about God's will. And I was taking notes and it was powerful. And uh, then he started the But Now I See series with an incredible word on creation from uh, the Genesis account. And if you missed either one of those, you need to go to our website or our app and watch it because it'll be a great benefit to you. I'm not saying that lightly or just trying to market that. You really need to hear that. I think every believer does. So while uh, Clayton was preaching, uh, I was invited to speak at a a very special event. It was the 220th anniversary of the Cane Ridge Revival. 
Now, a lot of you may not even know what that is. I mean, if you take U.S. history, it's part of the curriculum of U.S. history. It's the birthplace of the Second Great Awakening uh, and the birthplace of our movement of churches. Just to give you uh, an idea of the gravity of that, before the Cane Ridge Revival, 15% of the American, this is 1801, 15% of the American population went to church or considered themselves religious. After the Cane Ridge Revival, 15% went to 50%. Can you imagine if that happened today? So when we talk about revival, we're not talking about a small located thing. I mean, there were 20,000 people in the woods 220 years ago. And so it was an incredible honor for me to be able to go and speak and be in that pulpit in that log cabin uh, that's been preserved all of these years, just about 30 miles north of Lexington, Kentucky. Bob Russell was there, and uh, he's just one of the best preachers alive today. And Dr. Doug Foster, who is kind of a foremost authority on church history, and I got to speak uh, alongside of both of them. And it's absolutely beautiful there. If you've ever driven through uh, Lexington, the Lexington, Kentucky area. It's just the, the meadows and the horses and the rail fences. It's beautiful. And it was all, it's also located in Bourbon County. That's right, Bourbon County, because it's where bourbon was invented. And I mean, you know, when they say Cane Ridge Revival, we don't know all of the things that went into that revival, but I don't know. But anyway, Anyway, uh, that, that was incredible too. Well, much of what we believe and what we do as a church was actually born in that place. And it's in that place where we developed what we might call our collective faith identity. It's where it was born. Now, that word is a buzzword. When I just used the word identity, I used a buzzword, right? Because identity is a major topic in American culture right now. What do I identify as? Who do I identify with? And there are a lot of hot debates right now about race, about gender, about sexual orientation, about victimization, and on how we see ourselves and the world around us. The words we use and the words we are discouraged from using are all tied up in this one word, identity. The American Medical Association, most of us would consider that a reputable organization. The American Medical Association just recommended, this is the last couple of weeks, that we do not put gender on birth certificates. Here's a quote, their quote. Imposing such a categorization system risks stifling self-expression and self-identification and contributes to marginalization and minoritization. In the last few weeks, there are doctors that are now recommending replacing the word breastfeeding with chest feeding or body feeding. And that's just creepy. I mean, that's just, that's just creepy. Why are we doing that? Well, because words mean things, and there are some people who don't want the blanks of our lives filled in by anybody else. And it's all tied up 
in identity. So I'm getting ready for this sermon, and I just can't help it. As I think of that word, I can't help but think of the born identity, the movie. In 2002, the born identity hit the theaters and it instantly became a blockbuster. It was the story of a man who was suffering amnesia and he was trying to figure out who he was. And at the same time he was doing that, he was being hunted by these professional, even somewhat superhuman assassins. Jason Bourne discovered that he had these same skills, but he had no idea where they came from. And so what the movie was, was his violent journey trying to figure all of that out. Now, the movie started what so far has been a series of five movies. The last one was released in 2016. It's grossed $1.6 billion. And what does that have to do with what I'm going to preach? Well, we may not be quite like Jason Bourne, but that does not stop us for searching for our identity. And that's why up here on this board, at the top of the board, I have this question. Who am I? Who are you? And how do we arrive on how to answer that question? I did some research on how we arrive at our identity, and this is what at least the world says it looks like. So I'm going to begin by writing this. This is me. If we are to answer that question with this statement, this is what it actually looks like. It begins with one of two components. The first one is called personal identity. What is that? Personal identity is how you view you. When you think about yourself, it's the way you understand yourself, your personal identity. It's comprised of things you can and cannot control. Like the things you can control, maybe decisions or interests, things like that. Things that you cannot control would be like your family or your race or things like that, right? But you don't only have a personal identity. You also have what's called a social identity. What's that? A social identity is how other people view you. So there's these two components, how you view yourself, how other people perceive you. That's you in the context of your community, your school, your career, your marital status, financial, educational, occupational, your religious beliefs, or your behavioral status. That's your social identity. These two things come together with what psychologists and sociologists calls your collective identity. Your collective identity. These two things create this. Now, the way that we construct our identities in our own mind come out of these things, and sociologists and psychologists say it begins with what is called your core. Your core identity. 
Now, your core identity, according to them, is your hardwiring as an individual. And we all do have hardwiring as individuals. And God definitely has a sense of humor. Because if you're a parent and your DNA and somebody else's DNA came together, there ought to be at least some resemblance, like psychologically. But how many of you have kids and you're going, where did they come from? How did that even happen? I mean, this is what drives us to Ancestry.com. Like, there's got to be some wacko back there because I don't even understand this. There's lots of different ways we describe personality, all these personality tests we can take, right? Uh, uh, and, and one of them that's really popular right now is called the Enneagram. And the Enneagram identifies nine different personality types. Let me just tell you how deep that sense of humor of God goes. In my family, there are nine people, and there is not a single matching Enneagram personality type. We have the full set. It's like getting dishes from the gas station. Some of you remember that? I got the whole set, which means every time we get our family together, nobody agrees. It's awesome. God's going, <laughs> That's your hardwiring as an individual, your personality type, behaviors, values, and personal beliefs all coming out of that hardwiring. Then we have what we call our chosen identity. And your chosen identity reflects the choices you make outside of that core. Like, well, what kind of status do I want to pursue? Traits that I want to strength and skills that I want to rehearse with. My, where, where am I going to choose to live? Or what am I going to choose as my occupation? How much education am I going to get? What group am I going to be affiliated with? And then there's this third circle, which is called our given identity. And our given identity involves things that we absolutely cannot control, like your age, your gender. I mean, we may try to control our age, but it doesn't matter how often you work out at the gym, you're still as old as you are. Our gender. I know that we're trying to work on that one, right? Not make that a given one. Our place of birth, our race, the physical characteristics that we're born with, right? Now, all of that, all of this goes into this machine. And that machine is called society, family, ethnicity, location, opportunity, media, personal interest, appearance, self-expression, and life experiences. And this is how we construct our identities. And every one of you that's listening to me, all of you have that. All of you have a constructed identity. It's an identity you've put together because the world says, you are the sum of all of these things. And it determines so much your friends, the place you live, your hairstyle, the food you eat, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money. All of it comes from this, a constructed identity. Now, I said all that so I could say this. What if there was more? What if you were more like Jason Bourne than you could ever imagine? What if you had a hidden identity that was always there, you just weren't aware of it? 
And what if that hidden identity was far more precious and far more wonderful than anything you might construct for yourself or that society would seek to shape you into? What if there was something at the core of who you are that is greater than all your givens and all of your choices? And the question is, would you trade all of that constructed identity for this hidden identity that you've discovered? Would you trade it? Well, the Bible has a number of scriptures that really approach this issue, but there's one I'm going to concentrate on. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to come back and go verse by verse, because this is critically important for you to understand. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery, that's that hidden word, hidden identity, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him you are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, you also, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, this is one of just a number of great scriptures that reveal your hidden identity. But I just want to concentrate on this one today because it describes who you really are and what you were created to be. So what I want us to do is listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he reveals to you your hidden identity. Number one. That scripture actually said you are chosen to be holy and blameless. Some of you just took the off ramp. You're going, well, listen, if you're talking about being holy or you're talking about being blameless, that ain't me. I'm a long way from that. You know who's, what's saying that? Your constructed identity. That's not what God's saying. That's what you're saying. Listen to what the scripture says in verse three and four. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For 
He chose, past tense, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. All of that is being put on God, right? He chose us. And here's my question. When? When did he, when did he choose us? Bible says before the creation of the world. So what did you have to do with that? What were you doing before the creation of the world? Oh, you uh, can't really answer that. Before you were ever created, he chose you to be holy and blameless. That doesn't have anything to do with you. It was determined before the world was created. And it only happens in him. In him, you were chosen. This is how God sees you. It's how he chooses to see you. It describes his attitude as he views you. You may not think you're chosen. You may not think you're holy. You may not think you're blameless, but that is how your heavenly father has told you he views you. That was hidden, but he's revealing it. Secondly, you're adopted into his family. The fifth and sixth verse says this, in love, don't forget that, it was in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with, listen to this, his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It was his choice not only to create you to be holy and blameless and to choose you, it was also his choice to adopt you into his family. And he didn't do it because he's looking at you and you're going, and he's, and he's saying something like, you are one sorry child. And you know somebody needs to take some pity on you because you're a mess. He's doing it because it gives him the greatest pleasure. He did it in love. And it gives him pleasure to adopt you into his family. That can't be earned. It's freely given. And it describes you in the context of his spiritual family. That's part of your hidden identity. Chosen, holy, blameless, adopted by God himself. Let's go on. Verses 7 through 8a. You're redeemed and forgiven. In him, we have redemption. You know what that means? It means to be bought back, to be repurchased. You have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This is revealing the reason that we do not know who we really are. This is why our hidden identity is hidden, and so we create constructed identities. It's because of sin. Because sin is in us and it's all around us and it's the result of countless decisions and choices made by us and by all the people around us, past, present, and future, all against God's will. Now, God has already taken care of this amnesia and paid the debt for all that we've done. He did that through Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And you know, that wasn't sparingly. God wasn't going, how little do I have to do and still get away with this and still be able to forgive him? 
No, he didn't do it sparingly. He lavished it. He just went overboard with it. That's the level of his love because you needed redemption and you needed forgiveness because without redemption and forgiveness, you're never gonna know who you truly are. Next, that scripture says he has revealed our hidden identity. He's revealed it. The mystery is no longer a mystery. It says in 1, 8b to 10, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, because he wanted to and makes him feel good, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He wants to reveal that hidden identity to you because eventually your identity and everybody else is going to be revealed completely when he brings everything together under Christ. There is going to come a day when everything that God has promised, everything he promised you and me, his children, it'll be put into effect. And that's exciting. Now, I've said all of this up to this point is God's doing, right? God did all of that. So do I, is there any part where I play in this? Next one, he, we are chosen, but we must choose this identity for ourselves. He's cho chosen us. Do we choose him back? Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. In him, we were also chosen, past tense, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, here it comes, and you also were included in Christ. Now, if you didn't have anything to do with that, that's where that scripture would end. But it says, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. You hear that? When you heard it and you responded to it. When you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It happens when we hear his message and then we choose to believe that message. And when we do, he marks us with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to go back to verse 14. It says, who is a deposit? The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, when you hear deposit, I think of banking. And when I hear inheritance, I'm thinking of like probate court and a will. But that is not what is conveyed in the original language of this verse. It's actually far more intimate and far more personal than that. The word deposit in the original language actually is a betrothal word or an engagement ring. So when we say, I hear this message of the gospel and I choose to believe it, it's like Jesus saying, 
Here's an engagement ring. I'm coming back for you. I'm making a promise to you that you're mine. So beautiful. And that's why we choose because love is always a choice, right? So how is this even possible? Are we so much more than these identities that we've constructed for ourselves? Of course we are, far more. Ephesians, well, those, that scripture we just read together, it has zero discrimination in it. Did you notice that? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what race you are, what country you're from, how much money you have, how much education you've acquired, who your earthly family is, what's on your birth certificate, what your physical appearance is, what you've done in your past, or any other thing in your constructed identity. God says, this is who you were meant to be. The question is whether or not you're willing to trade that constructed identity for your hidden identity. And the, the question that goes along with it is, why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult? Let me tell you why. It's hard because our constructed identities are so chock full of lies that we've been making agreements with. And these lies we've been making agreements with, we've been doing it our whole life. Carlos Whitaker was here a few weeks ago and he talked about killing spiders. He said the spider is an agreement we make with a lie. He said we need to stop worrying about cleaning cobwebs, all the things that that produces, and we need to start killing spiders. Let me tell you, Ephesians 1, that's raid on spiders. That's, that's decon for spiders. Clayton talked last week about how we believe a godless story about the creation of the world because society tells us to, because society accepts it. And as long as enough people yell it and enough people teach it, we need to believe it. It is time to start killing spiders. All those spiders do is they hide your true identity. Randy Frazee was here a while back, and he reminded us that we have to give up this thing he called the illusion of control. How much of your identity is bound to your need to control it? Your constructed identity is bound to your need to control it, but control is an illusion. Frazee said this, we don't need to try harder, we need to yield harder. It's when we surrender our constructed identity to our hidden identity, we truly begin to understand who we are. And it's then when we begin to experience what it means to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. Who am I? This is me. 
I am not who my parents say I am. I am not who my teachers say I am. I am not what my boss says I am or what culture says I am or my race says I am or my body says I am or my friends say I am or my bank account says or my address says or my age says or media says or what politics says or even what I say I am. I am none of those things. There's only one voice that has a right to tell me who I am and that's the one who made me, who loves me, who forgave me, who redeemed me, who adopted me, who lavished his grace on me, chose me, he cleansed me, and he promised me that he will come for me someday and take me home with him. I choose who he says I am. It's time for people who believe to stand up for the truth of who they are. It's time to give up these petty arguments that distract us from the truth that God has declared upon you and over you. It's time for you to know who you are. And for those of us that consider ourselves believers. We need to throw our arms around that. For those of us that haven't yet crossed over that line, you need to know who you've always been meant to be, your hidden identity and every single thing in your core or has been given you and every choice you make, God is going to show you himself. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.